Hey, everyone, and welcome to another episode of God is Not a Theory with Ken Fish. I'm your host, Grant Pemberton, and on today's episode, we're joined by longtime friend and repeat. Now, I think this is our third uh, recording together. Um, the one and only Putty Putman is joining us uh, today, um, all the way from blazing hot Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, as we're talking about fusion, and I think, Ken, the reason Putty's on is, I think Putty's going to be with us at fusion. Is that right? That's it. I cannot wait. It's going to be awesome. Putty is our uh, representative physicist on the uh, on the speaker roster, but he does double duty because he also uh, used to run something called uh, Sockham or School of Kingdom Ministry uh, for the Vineyard Movement. And he's busy planting a vineyard church in Phoenix, Arizona. So we're going to talk with Putty today about um, several aspects of his own life and journey, but also about um, physics. And the, the, trust me, this will be a layman's level discussion. But we want you to get a feeling uh, for this thing that we discussed in the last week's podcast, where we were just where we were exploring what what are we doing at this fusion conference anyway. Mm. And I made the comment. Um, last week, that uh, fusion is, as far as we know, the most powerful force in the universe. It powers at the grandest scale quasars. It uh, also powers stars like our own, and it powers the most powerful weapons that we've ever been able to create on Earth. It involves the fusing together, thus the name fusion, of uh, two or more uh, nuclei of atoms, and in so doing, releases um, tremendous amounts of energy. Now, again, that's just a summary. It's a crazy, a synopsis of what we discussed last week. Uh, Putty, welcome to the show, and uh, thanks for being as smart as you are. <laughs> Aw, <laughs> it's, it's an honor to be here. I love hanging with you guys. Well, um, you know, uh, so you're going to be one of our speakers at, at Fusion. You're one of our, our main speakers, and we're going to have you up very early on to help us frame the nature of what we're doing at the conference, and I've got several questions I want to ask you today, but um, you've been on the show before, but I'm sure people don't fully remember, and I don't know if I've ever actually asked you this question before. Uh, tell us what drew you to the field of physics when you were a physicist and decided to go not only for a doctorate in it, but a uh, postdoctorate in it. Yeah, no, that's, um, that, yeah, that's a great, great, uh, great question, and I don't get asked this one too much anymore. You're right. Um, so for me, um, my journey to physics was kind of interesting. Um, I grew up generally interested in, in the sciences. I just have always thought it fascinating, like how do things work and why do they work they do the way they do. And, um, and so like, I just, you know, I, I kind of thought all that stuff was interesting growing up. I didn't, uh, didn't think a whole lot of it. And then um, I'm making my way through high school and I'm kind of trying to figure out like I'm eventually going to go to college what am I going to do how's that going to work um just kind of turning that over and um you know I'm making my way through science classes and uh I get to the physics class in my high school and my physics class uh in in the school that I was in there were there were two levels there's the kind of normal level and there was what's called AP physics where you could get some college credit for it and so I was taking the AP physics one. And in the high school I grew up in, <laughs> uh, they, uh, 
AP physics was like the hardest course and everybody knew it. There was like no joking around. They graded it on a curve and an A was like 65% or something like that. Um, and so I, anyway, I took physics and I was honestly afraid because I was like, this is supposed to be really hard. I don't even really actually know what it is. I take this physics class and Ken, I don't know what to tell you. It was like something clicked and this thing just made sense to me. Yeah. I looked around, everybody else is confused. Everybody's like, this is weird. This doesn't work. For me, it, taking physics was actually like a divine experience of things coming into clarity. And in fact, physics made so much sense to me that I was interested in physics enough that I self-taught myself calculus because physics made not just physics make sense, but math makes sense too. And so then I taught myself calculus, actually took the calculus version of the, the credit uh, first time in the high school that's ever happened, blah, 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 blah. So it, by the end of the uh, year, you know, I was taking this class with people who had gotten like perfects on the SAT and valedictorians and all of this. And like I said, I think the grade did the curve was like a 65. And I think the next highest grade in the class was like a 72 or a 73. That was like what the valedictorians had gotten. And I think I closed the class at 85. Wow. I just like completely destroyed everything and everyone. And it was, I, I don't know. It was just like, Oh, this is what it feels like to sort of feel like you're made to do something. Yeah. And, and so when I went to college, I was like, I think I want to try that again. I tried it again. It was like the same thing. Just everything clicks. I know how to do this and finished my degree. My undergrad I was like, I think, I think I want to try to go to grad school. So I to professors are like, you're definitely good enough for grad school go off to graduate school. That was again, a hard, that was a hard <laughs> initial journey because I had started coming from a Christian college. So I didn't have maybe the fullest curriculum possible. And I was stepping in with a bunch of students who had gone to MIT and Caltech and Stanford and these universities. And so they were all way ahead of me the first year and it was terrifying. Um, but by about two years in, I had caught up with all of them and was, was doing well. And so anyway, I, it's kind of a weird story. It was just a click. It's like, wow, I guess I can do this. I guess it worked. <laughs> and that's when you realized you were a nerd. <laughs> well, wise people picked up on that long before, but. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So, um, so you, you do all this education, you study a lot. Um, once you were a physicist, meaning you had the, the papers behind you, the letters behind you, the degrees in your hand, and you're practicing as a physicist. What did you like about being a physicist? Oh, man. Um, I feel like from a Christian perspective, one could think of physics as like something like studying the fingerprints that God left on the universe when he made it. You, you sort of understand, you come to see a deeper like order and way <laughs> that this is all stitched together. And the, the deeper you go in, the more you realize just how miraculous it is that like <laughs> there is order and reason to all of this. Like, it's like, oh my gosh, like we can actually describe this world with like math. Like that's why, why, like why? <laughs> There's no reason that should have to be that way. You know, like that's just crazy. Um, and so uh, to me, 
I like that one verse in Proverbs where it says something like, um, it's the glory of God to conceal a matter and the glory of kings to search it out. You know that one? Yeah. To, to me, that's what physics is. It's like you search out the hidden things that God has put and you sort of think his thoughts after him in a way or something. And it's just beautiful. It's like, I don't know. You, you see, you see a part of God that I don't know that I've seen in any other area and pursuit. And I love all the, all of the ones that's not to knock on anything, but it's just like, wow, God's so clever. He's so brilliant. And this works like that. And that works like that. And it's just, yeah, I don't know. So did I just hear you say that we should call you your Royal Highness Putty Putnam? <laughs> no, 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 no. Is that I, what you heard, Grant? <laughs> I'm searching for a trace of kingly glory because I don't, <laughs> I'm long, long behind it. It's not, it's not where I'm at, you know? <laughs> definitely inferred though, Ken. It was definitely inferred. It was inferred, yeah. I, I, oh, no. I detected a whiff of narcissism in there. Oh, no. <laughs> 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 All right, so um, so you're seeing the balance and order in the universe. You're seeing the fingerprints of God, and I love that language. It's um, it's not only poetic; I think it's also quite true. And mm -hmm. um, to a very great degree, those were the things that, when I was on that journey, drew me towards the hard sciences, totally, including physics. And uh, so, I want to ask you a, a little bit more about that. So you're you're practicing physics now you you're got it you made a career in it what were you doing and what, what, how did that how did that play out day to day sure right so um in in physics i so i kind of simultaneously you're in sciences you're usually doing one or both of two things um research is often usually the sort of core thrust of what you're doing Sitting one step uh, away from research in one direction is sort of applied physics. And so, you know, lots of technology companies and whatever have lots of interest in this. And then one step in the other direction is essentially like teaching and things like that. Um, actually, I had the cool opportunity to sort of weave in and out uh, from a little bit of all three of those. And so I was always kind of alternating between researching and working in some kind of an environment. Um, I worked for a little while at Argonne National Laboratory, which is a national lab outside of Chicago. Um, they have a big, uh, what's called a cyclotron. It's a big, uh, one of those electrons that runs in circles and they use it essentially as a massive microscope. Um, generates x-rays, which they then can use to, you know, essentially scatter off things and, and figure out how the structure of atoms and proteins and stuff. If you've ever seen those kinds of uh graphics where they're like the protein looks like this um that's where they figure that kind of stuff out there's places like that so anyway i um i worked they have a, a particular machine they use for some of those experiments and i worked to kind of create a new calibration technique with that um which was pretty fun um actually worked for a company called medtronic for uh, a little while they're a medical device manufacturer and i worked in their r d division um they would essentially they had their R and D division had a um, a branch of it that was kind of like, hey, this thing doesn't work anymore, and we don't know why. Can you help us? <laughs> and so they'd bring down like a stent, you know, or something that all of a sudden wasn't passing its, you know, 
tests for how durable it needed to be or pacemaker that all of a sudden like the glue would like the, start interacting with the body in a bad way. And we actually had like just a whole series of tests that we would wind up kind of trying to reconstruct what was going on. And so um, I worked with what was called x-ray photoelectron spectroscopy um, with them. And so I was doing that kind of stuff, uh, kind of weaving in and out of that application. I was weaving in and out of research. Um, my research was what was called high energy physics. And so that is uh, quantum field theory. It's the theory behind all the stuff that they're doing at these big particle colliders where they're trying to create, uh, you know, the the most microscopic things that have ever been found, et cetera. And so that was kind of the main thrust of my research. But then as I was doing all that research, um, I wound up kind of stumbling a little bit into the education stuff too. Um, turns out if you're a physics theorist, when you're studying in grad school, you don't have money because they don't give money to theorists. And so you have to teach to make money. But then it turned out, I found out I was decent at teaching. And so we actually had a education group at the University of Illinois that was trying to um, figure out how do you work with students who are a bit behind the curve and catch them up. And so they had all these kind of educational theories that they were always interested in testing. And about halfway through my grad school career, they approached me and said, hey, we noticed you're really good in the classroom. Um, would you be willing to partner with us to create custom courses to test our hypotheses in physics education? And so someone else will teach the normal class. You'll teach our sort of thing and we'll do a you know a split test side by side and see if that works and so I did that for about three years um, which actually resulted in me doing a postdoc with them too afterwards as I was beginning to kind of transition into ministry um, and so I kind of I wove in and out of all three of these some of its teaching some of its application doing the stuff a lot of it was theory and theory is a weird thing you uh, you spend a lot of time thinking a lot of time crunching numbers on your uh, computer, a lot of time writing, you know, equations so long and trying to figure out what they mean and how all they work. Um, and then a lot of time talking to other people because it's a, I mean, can you know what it's like when you're kind of at the frontier of knowledge, you, you move slowly because there's no one else to look at. So like everything new that happens, you're like, what does that mean? I, no one's ever seen that before. I need to, and then you have to talk with people. You have to dialogue. You have to bounce things off. You kind of go down a rabbit trail and you realize, oh no, we got to walk it back. You know, it's just kind of like strange experience. Um, so yeah, I, I don't know if that spoke to what you were saying, but that was a lot of what I did. Yeah, no, that, that gives people a sense of the sort of thing you were doing. And I guess to summarize, it would be, uh, you were doing research, you had to document your research, you had to quantify uh, what you were doing, and I know this is an important part of the science process, make it reproducible, yep. um, essentially on demand, or at least under the right set of defined conditions, yep. and that way um, others can verify that it's right, um, but also you're exploring, you didn't quite use this term, but it's what you said, the frontiers of knowledge, and so a lot of times you realize there's no one around me that I can necessarily check in with about what I think I'm seeing and experiencing. I can bounce it off of similar people who may be doing uh, comparable research, but sometimes you stand alone as, as your own kind of leading edge researcher. And 
so maybe on some level you didn't just enjoy the teaching you enjoyed the exploration part of it oh absolutely totally and i think the exploration part of it is really it's essential to what we are trying to do at at fusion as a conference we can talk about that more when we uh, get to that part of the conversation but um you know th this conference is really for people who are questing for uh we might say the frontiers of spiritual knowledge mm. We're trying to understand, since, since I personally believe that all truth is unified, um, it may not always appear that way, but, but that's part of the process of mm. history of physics and theology, that things are not always what they appear. And upon further examination, we see that all truth is unified. And I think it's, it ultimately derives from a passage that we see in Ephesians 1. It's the intention of the Father to unite all things in Christ. Mm, right, right. So there's probably things about the spiritual world we can learn from physics, and there's things about physics we can learn from the spiritual world. And uh, and anyway, we've called fusion what it's named because of this idea that there is a place where prophetic and miracles converge and unite. Mm -hmm. Get to that in a moment. Let me ask you another question. You eventually left physics, and I think it's interesting. You, I don't know if our listeners caught it, but. You said you were working on a postdoc while you were transitioning into ministry. That, I would say, is an abnormal uh, career trajectory. Definitely. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> so uh, you eventually left physics for ministry because you've told me before you were so intrigued by the supernatural side of Christianity that you ultimately found it even more compelling than physics itself. So talk to us about that. What did you see? What did you encounter? What was it that made it so compelling that you would leave a very high-paying job with um, <laughs> corporate corporate entities that give you all the benefits and cushy lifestyle? Right. Do all that to go into ministry. Yeah. Right. So uh, it's a, it's a long story, of course. That could be. Uh, I'll I'll try and condense it. I um so while I was at University of Illinois and I'm I'm doing all that stuff getting my PhD, I find my way into a vineyard church there. Um, I did not grow up in a context that was supernatural. Um, I grew up in a context that was very word-oriented, so I got a lot there. But the Holy Spirit was basically just MIA. Um, you know, he's around somewhere. We, we technically knew he had to be God somehow, but, you know, I never saw him do anything. Right. Um, and so this vineyard context is actually really confusing, um, for a number of years to me. I didn't, I didn't experience it as a highly positive thing. I experienced it as like, who are these weirdos and what is going on? Wait a minute. Um, what, what, what kept you going then? If, if it was not positive? <laughs> yeah. Uh, to, uh, probably, well, I mean, honestly, the Lord in hindsight, right. But, um, two things practically, one is. Uh, I did have friends there. And so it's incredible how powerful friendships can be at a church, I think, you know, I'm like, I knew that there was any of a number of other churches that would have fit me better, but this is the one that my friends went to. And um, I, uh, I was super busy with grad school. Like I was a physicist, right? I wasn't thinking I'm heading towards ministry. So like, my goal with a church is to like, keep me remembering Jesus is real while I'm doing like, you know, 60 hours a week of world-class crazy physics in a environment that's not conducive to faith. 
<laughs> you know? So I'm kind of like, I just want him to talk about Jesus. Like, that's my need from this church. But, you know, my weekly dose of, oh, yeah, Jesus is first. Um, and so I was getting that, you know? It was kind of a weird packaging to me, but but that's what I was getting. So anyway, a little more than halfway through, I find my way on a short-term mission trip to China. Uh, and there's some backstory. Growing up, I had lived in China. My, my family moved to China for a year. We were missionaries when I was quite young. But anyway, um, I'm on this trip. I've made a deal with the team leader that I don't believe in any of this healing stuff. Not going to do any of the healing stuff. God kind of tricks me into giving a word of knowledge. Next thing I know, I'm leading the healing time, even though I don't believe in it. And I just decide, I guess I'll just fake it because I don't want to make the team leader look bad. And so I kind of just start faking my way through a prayer time and the spirit of God destroys the room. Um, falls on the lady I'm praying for. She goes into a full on demonic manifestation, snarling and growling and all this. The group of people around us, spirit of God hits them. They fall in shaking, bacon, twitching, all this kind of stuff. And meanwhile, I'm kind of like not believing in any of this. And yet it's all happening through me. Um, and an hour lady, later, this lady's gotten delivered and healed. Um, you know, all these other people have had these profound God experiences. And a lot of it happened kind of with me in the mix. And I just kind of left that experience going, I do not understand what happened. I do not understand the packaging. That was confusing. But I know God did something more real in those people's lives than maybe I've ever seen before. And so if that's true, I have got to figure out what's going on with that. And so that began a trajectory that uh, by the time, you know, three years after that, when we're kind of looking at my postdoc and all that kind of stuff, it was like, I knew that I knew that I knew that I had somehow stumbled my way into the middle of God moving. And I was kind of in a point where it was like, I can keep going on the physics trajectory or I can keep doing this. But because of some of the circumstantial things, I couldn't do both. Um, I don't think those are categorically opposed to each other by any means. But in that particular instance, it was like, I can either roll with the move of God that I've stumbled into <laughs> or I can keep going on my physics trajectory, which is looking good. Um, but I knew like five years later, I would have a real hard time living with myself if I was the guy who like walked away from my job in the middle of, um, you know, what I understood to be God moving. So I, you know, I did my best to follow Jesus. He says, when you stumble on the kingdom, like it's a treasure in a field, if it takes it, go sell everything you have to buy the treasure. Like you will be glad that you did. And yeah. uh, I was like, I think this is that for me. And so I did. And I've never regretted it for one second. It, I mean, I gave up a lot. And I, I that would have been great to have those things too. <laughs> but I got the better deal. No questions asked. No questions asked. 100%. What does it say that all three of us have walked away from corporate uh, riches and we couldn't keep it? That's the problem. You know, it wouldn't be great to have both. I think that would be. <laughs> totally worth it. Lord. Also, it would be really cool to have all of You're the prayers of your saints, Lord. <laughs> <laughs> so if those of you those of you out there that are listening to this you just want to throw up a prayer uh, for the three of us 
It's super cool to have both. I don't know where that is in the scriptures, but uh, we're down. We're, we're, we're down to pioneer that work. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, this is the irreverent podcast that we're making today. <laughs> We're just we're too familiar. We know each other too well. That's, that's the it. only only way I know how to make one. I'm sorry, guys. Yeah, no, it's good. Uh, okay, so um, okay, so Putty, when you were on the show last time, and it's been it's been a while. Um, yeah. we were talking about the uh, the various attempts that you've seen by you know Christians to harmonize quantum physics with the spiritual realm, and and I I, I think you made the comment at the time. You thought this was well-intentioned, that, you know, people were attempting to show that truth is unified. And so right. if quantum physics is right, and if there's truth in spirituality, somehow there has to be a point at which they converge. Um, but you've also made the point that most of the attempts to describe uh, what goes on at the subatomic level by, by Christians who maybe didn't even finish high school or college is is probably not going to be a successful outcome yes and so um would you summarize for our listeners some of the key con problems that you see with the approach as it's commonly practiced i think that would be very helpful to them yeah especially because we're leading into this thing called fusion where we we are going to attempt to basically find the spiritual equivalent of the unified field theory but we haven't right. gotten it yeah. right right yeah totally so I think when we're talking about the idea of like quantum physics and the supernatural and how all that, you know, works, the thing you got to be careful of is uh, what I would call what I call the correlation of the weird. Um, and is that a scientific term? It's, it's funny scientific term. <laughs> I, I think I think it has probably to do with the way our minds work. So if our brains seem like they have lots of containers that we know how to put things in, but we only have one container for everything we don't understand. So, you know, it's like I've got containers for I understand relationships, friendships, and, you know, spouse and parent-child and all this. I understand money. I understand, you know, career and these different things. But when it comes to sort of like everything weird, it all goes in one bucket. Like there's one weird bucket. And I think because of that, it's it's really tempting to just be like, well, that's weird and that's weird. So they must be the same thing. <laughs> and and so, like I said, this is what I call the correlation of the weird. And supernatural is weird and quantum physics is weird. And so it's really easy to look at those two weird things and go, well, those two are two weird things. They must somehow be the same thing. And I am a big fan of like, don't, you don't want to do that. It's tempting. It, it like, I get it. And there are some kind of encouraging thoughts that might be some of the first thoughts that come with that. Um, but you don't want to do that. You don't want to do that for a number of reasons. Um, first of all, uh, you don't have any evidence to think those two are the same thing. <laughs> um, and so, you know, kind of part of the scientific method is actually saying, don't assume that you understand the things you don't understand. Uh, assume you don't understand the things you don't understand. And like, let evidence guide you to those categories. And so number one, if we're just kind of like jump into that, we've actually violated science in the way we're attempting to unify science in the supernatural. Um, so we're probably not going anywhere good after that. I think what you have kind of sitting underneath that though, 
is something that might be a slightly deeper um, metaphysical problem, I suppose. Um, because science is, by definition, um, constrained uh, to that which is reproducible by experiment, and therefore focuses on uh, the natural plane. Now, none of us believe that reality is confined to the natural plane. Right. We don't not, like none of us are, are arguing that's the case. We're not materialists. Right. But the natural plane is what you can accurately reproduce by experiment 100 percent of the time. <laughs> right. And so once you're talking science, you're sort of taking the whole of reality and you're scoping it down to the material order. You've kind of precluded parts of reality by framing the conversation in science. And when you say that science is the supernatural, you're actually kind of equivocating the natural order with things that don't fit in the natural order. And you got to be careful when you're doing that, that you're not actually reducing God in the process. We do not want God to fit only in the material order. We do not want God to be fully explainable by science. Because if we do, we've annihilated his transcendence. <laughs> And that's a real problem. <laughs> we, we need to believe in a transcendent God or there's all kinds of things that, that go out the window, right? Well, one of the things that happens, and it's actually a growing phenomenon in charismatic Christianity, is you become either a pantheist or a panentheist. That's what happens when you begin to eliminate the transcendent. Exactly. That's exactly correct. And I believe there was a famous book that came out maybe 20, 30 years ago called The Tao of Physics. Yeah, yeah, totally no wonder. Yeah. Yep, for, exactly. For, uh, for those of us born in the hills of East Tennessee, could you explain those two words? Yeah, pantheism is the belief that everything is God and God is everything. So, you know, I, I, right now you can see my hands. I'm touching my computer. My computer is God or my monitor behind it is God. My cell phone is God. God is everything, and everything is God. So it's all part of the great expression of God. Uh, we wouldn't even say in the universe that the universe is the is the ultimate expression of God. Panentheism is really the belief that God is discovering Himself through the universe, and um, somehow He is integrally linked to it, but He doesn't dominate or govern it, but rather um, as the universe develops, changes, we might use the term evolves, although for some that's a trigger word. Mm -hmm. as, it, as it develops and changes, God continues to discover more things about himself. Um, he, is not, he is not complete, but he is emerging. And I think one of the, um, actually one of the darling, uh, darling children of this point of view among modern Christians today is none other than Greg Boyd. There are some others as well, but I think Greg Boyd represents this point of view. Oh, that's interesting. I actually didn't know that. Yeah. Well, it goes right along with open theism that the Lord doesn't control the universe, that it controls him. Right, right. Or at least, or at least it's beyond his control. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Anyway, so that's what these two terms mean. Pan pantheism, God is everything. Panentheism, God is is in everything and is discovering himself through the process of the universe's uh, change and development. Right. Th those of us in the Hillbilly Club, thank you both for <laughs> expounding. 
Yeah. And, and thank you to thank me. And both of those are, they're much more common in Eastern religions. And if you'll note, both of them are a lessening of the Christian story, right? Like we believe God is everywhere, right? We also just believe that God goes beyond the natural order too. <laughs> but once you start killing that and you're like, no, God is everything and God is only everything, then you're starting to get to pantheism, right? We also believe that God is like verbalizing himself through the great cosmic story, right? Like he is declaring himself in it. Um, and so, but we also believe that he exists beyond it. <laughs> and so once again, once you start removing that transcendent thing, now you have this idea that God is discovering who he is through the story he is that is the universe itself. Um, they're both lessenings of the Christian story. You kind of take the Christian story and you clip transcendence off here or there and you wind up falling into those categories. Which is why I feel like don't do that in science either, or you'll find yourself in the same place. Don't trip, don't clip the transcendence of God by equivocating the supernatural and quantum mechanics. Now, what you can do is you can use analogous reasoning, right? You can say, well, look, quantum mechanics is the fingerprints of God, and the supernatural is the activity of God, and they're the same God. So we can we can kind of see hints of one and the other. We can look at one and see who God is <laughs> and then use that to understand the other and vice versa. But the connection point is that they both point to God. It's not that they're the same in and of each other, if that makes sense. Makes a lot of sense to me. I don't know if it does to our listeners, but anyway, <laughs> if you want to hear more, you should come to Fusion. All right, so speaking of, um, you'll be one of our main speakers, as I said at the beginning. Uh, Fusion is happening in Nashville, Tennessee, October 18 to 21 are the dates. Uh, registration is currently open, and the easiest way to sign up is go to the Orbis Ministries homepage, uh, www.orbisministries.org, and that's O-R-B-I-S for Orbis, orbisministries.org, and uh, we have a link there. You can sign up. And the super early bird registration ends on the 15th of August. So um, this is a good time to be signing up. Uh, Putty, give us a summary at the highest level, of course. You have more time to talk there. Of some of the key insights that are correct about quantum physics as it may pertain to the supernatural. You'll talk about this much more at, at Fusion. But it gives, it gives our listeners some bit of a sense of what they might hear from you. <laughs> sure. Yeah, this is uh, something I, I uh, could have spent a lot of time preparing on, but I didn't. Um, <laughs> so quantum mechanics and science in general is a language, right? Um, that might seem like a weird thought uh, if you're not in, in the field, um, but science like the mathematical sciences physics in particular chemistry often um they're a language of models and the language of models often can tell us a lot about how um gosh this is <laughs> can tell us about how behaviors work in this thing called the created order <laughs> Maybe I'll put it that way. Okay. Um, and um, some of the things, some of the things that I think are really interesting that fall out of 
quantum mechanics when you start looking at it in that way. There's a number of them. One of them is that things which are very different at face value may or may not be very different in origin. Um, I'll, I'll probably dive into this a lot more, uh, you know, as we talk at fusion. But one of the things that that is happening in quantum mechanics, you talked about this thing called the unified field theory. You kind of hinted at that a little bit earlier. Unified field theories um, are, they basically say, look, hey, when we look around us, we see a lot of different things. But the things that we identify as very different from one another um, can sometimes be sort of heads and tails of the same thing um, that isn't clear in our everyday life. But if there's another frame that we could find, maybe it's a frame of a certain energy or temperature, distance scale, something like that, um, then sometimes what you see is that this thing and that thing, which look really different, actually aren't different at all. They look really the same. Yeah. And what winds up happening when that happens is, you usually understand things like there's a bunch of other things that sort of fall out in that process, which you didn't expect were the case. So let me give let me give you an example that we'll probably dive into more more at Fusion. So if this kind of gets your interest going, sign up for that conference. It's gonna be awesome. Um, the first, probably the first real unification of field theories happens with this guy named uh, Maxwell in like the late 1800s. And what's happening in physics at the time is there's a whole lot of work on electricity and magnetism. This is the kind of golden age of electricity. Edison's been inventing the light bulb and houses are getting wired up with electricity and you know he's generating power. Tesla's trying to figure out alternating currents and all these kinds of things. And so there's all of this research into electricity. And as they start doing it, they bump into the fact that like, man, we're doing all these experiments with electricity and we keep bumping into magnetism. Now, if you think about it, right, if you think about your nine volt battery and you think about your refrigerator magnet, it's not at all clear that those have anything to do with each other, right? right? Like your refrigerator magnet doesn't have to be recharged to keep going, you know, your battery eventually runs out of power, you know, your battery can turn your light on, your magnet can't turn your light on, like, these two things, like, look really different from one another. But this guy Maxwell is working on all this, he's doing all these kinds of equations and experiments and all this stuff, and he winds up realizing that these two things are actually not two different things, but they're two echoes of one and the same thing. Um, and so he develops a theory of what's called electromagnetism, the two of them being described by one thing. And different conditions kind of make one or the other fall out. Now, mathematically, that's kind of elegant. It has an elegance to it. The people who are nerds like physicists look at it and go, oh, that's really pretty. And that, that makes me feel like there's order in the universe. And, you know, there's, there's all of that. It has a kind of poetry to it. But what's really interesting is not just that there's some nice mathematical equations behind it. But then when that becomes clear, Maxwell realizes, wait a minute, I can put these equations together in a way that I didn't realize I could put together before. And so he, he dices them together and he realizes like, wait a minute, I just wrote down an equation for a wave that's made of electricity and magnetism. 
I didn't realize that a wave could be made of electricity and magnetism. So he starts working this equation and he's like, hold on, let me calculate how fast this wave would go. And it turns out it was easy to crunch the numbers. This wasn't like, oh, I have to go do a bunch of experiments. He actually already had all the numbers at hand. So he crunches the numbers. And what falls out is that a wave of electricity and magnetism would move at basically exactly the measurement of the speed of light. So Maxwell goes, wait a minute, hold on. Not only are electricity and magnetism somehow the same thing, even though they look really different, it turns out that when I understand that they look the same, this other thing, light, which I didn't realize was connected at all, <laughs> is actually a manifestation of the two of them working together in harmony. And so what winds up happening in, in sciences, when you like work with these models and you understand like things like this thing and that thing look really different, but they're really the same thing, is that usually winds up pushing you to sort of higher levels of understanding where you understand other disjointed things as connected as well. Now, I, I think what we're trying to do in this fusion conference, and I'm really excited to talk with you more about this, right? is you're, you're, you're positing this whole thing as like, this is where prophecy and miracles merge. <laughs> this is where this one thing, prophecy, which doesn't really look quite like this other thing, miracles, but what if they sort of are the same thing at a place? What if there is a unification? How would that help us understand each of them better, but maybe also other things that we didn't even realize were connected to either of those? <laughs> uh, you know, what What else do we find kind of wrapped up in that higher order of understanding? Exactly. Uh, that's a, uh, I, I mean, I, I would be coming to this conference if I wasn't speaking at it, because I want to know the answer to that question. <laughs> it's the thing that's interesting about it, of course, is that there may be other things that fall out of it, but unlike so many conferences that people attend, we are actually trying to get all of our speakers aligned around this governing theme mm. and like you would in a science conference although it needs to keep being said because people get alarmed and they get frightened and they say i'm not up to that this is not a science conference We're, i mean at some level you will probably talk about what you've been talking about in a bit more detail but you're going to keep it um at a layman's level you're not going to get out a whiteboard and start writing partial differential equations <laughs> Um, well, as fun as it would be, as top. fun as it would be. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so, but the point is, we're trying to solve a problem, as you would at a science conference, and that is, how can we, how can we describe this thing of where prophecy and miracles converge? What does that mean for us? And importantly, how do we function in it? How do we utilize this as part of the sweet spiritual gifts that the Holy Spirit gives to us? Yeah. Totally. Totally. And, and one thing that's interesting, I suppose, a question, open question I'm just throwing out into the air is like, what are the conditions under which those two things do look the same, right? Um, in physics, we usually think of what, what we call an energy scale. At some energy scale, these things wind up looking more the same than they look different. Uh, um, and, you know, at the typical everyday life energy scales, they look more different. But What's the energy scale under which they look the same? I think that's an interesting, again, using, using all of this as parallels, right? It's an interesting question to me, like, what's the, what's the spiritual equivalent of that energy scale? You know, like, 
Um, is it something, is it like, do, is it almost like a direct parallel? God, the degree of God's power <laughs> that's acting, <laughs> you know? Uh, or is it something else? I don't even know, you know? Um, it, it, it does beg the question because in quantum mechanics, we think about um, S and P and D and F orbitals for electrons. And we talk about how there are quantum states that the electrons discreetly jump between from one state to a higher energy state to a higher energy state. And of course, they can decay backward to a lower energy state. And I, I wonder if there is something analogous to that. I don't know the answer to this, by the way. All listeners, please hear me say that. Yeah. I'm having a problem right now in my life where nobody is hearing what I am saying. They're hearing what I'm not saying. So <laughs> I'm pausing to emphasize this for all listeners. Please hear what I am and I'm not saying. I'm not sure, but I'm wondering is there an analogy of sort of quantum states in the Holy Spirit where he pushes us up to a higher level or a greater anointing or whatever the right wording for that is? And right. so is that something we cooperate with in order to receive a higher quantum? Or is that just only true in physics? And it's starting to be weird if we talk about it in right. spiritual language. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, like, again, using physics as an analogy, not yeah. as a template. Um, I mean, I know experientially there are times when I am like, there are things available in this spiritual environment which are not always available. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, you can you could tell thousands of stories of that, you know, and, and we can cite the scriptures, too. Right. Where Jesus is there and the power of God was especially present for him to heal and right. he healed them all. Right. I mean, there there are statements in the scriptures of those kinds of states of reality. Um, and so, I, yeah, I mean, as a scientist, for me, thinking about the idea of like, oh, wow, what does it look like when that is the sort of state of kingdom operation? <laughs> What's yeah. happening? You know, what are the conditions and what does it unlock that's now possible that wasn't possible before? Yeah. Well, and, and I think it's important for the listeners and for those that are coming as we're talking about this to understand that we're actually, I mean, I know you guys, especially, and, and myself included, we're not, I mean, theory is really interesting to talk about, but we're, we're practitioners. And the reason we're posing these questions in, in this conference is not so that we could sit around and sort of like stroke our chins and wonder, it's so that we can actually become more effective ministers. Um, in so this, I, yeah, so I wanna just kind of reiterate sort of big picture, what are we even talking about here? What are we doing? It's because, you know, I think I was saying this the other day to someone else when, you know, it's when Ken prays, things happen. That's sort of a common thing that people say about Ken Fish, right? And so what we wanted, we all want to be like that, right? When we, when we pray, things happen because the Lord is there and we're, and we're able to, to discern what he's doing in the time and all of that. Not because Ken's uh, so special or, or we're special or whatever, but understanding, like you're saying, there was something going on when Jesus was ministering that, that the power of God was working at an extraordinary rate and he healed everyone, right? Which is sort of our, our goal. But so just to kind of bring it all back to the conference, this is why we're talking about this sort of thing is, is so that we can become better ministers and practitioners and uh, keep reaching for that. So sorry to interrupt. Very much an equipping conference. So, all right, buddy. Um, so having kind of covered all that ground. Can you tell us a story of where you've seen something of the supernatural side of Christianity where, at least in the moment, it seemed that something of your training in physics was actually on display? Maybe this would be particularly true with prophecy and miracles, which are our main themes for the conference. But 
could include maybe healing also. I, I tend to mm -hmm. think of healing as a bit different from from miracles, um, although there there are some healings that are miracles. Not all healings are miracles. So, right. um, but do you have a story you want to share with our listeners of something like that? Yeah, let me let me make sure I'm I'm tracking with your question here. Um, so, are you asking when was a supernatural story that? But just just rephrase that. When was a supernatural story that my quantum physics background helped me make sense of in a different way? Is that what you're saying? Yeah. You could say it that way, or you might say it alternately. Um, and when I saw this, I thought, wow, that reminds me of, you know, the XYZ theory that I studied in the third year of my PhD program. Uh, and sure. Oh, my gosh, I've never thought about it that way. But wow. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, I'll tell you actually one. This is an interesting one to tell you, Ken, um, because I think you will you will resonate with this. Um, I actually frequently think about my physics training, my quantum theory training, and how um, uh, emergent states of matter work. To use a technical term, uh, <laughs> um, when I am doing watching football and eating popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> when I am doing my best to operate in an integrated approach to healing, actually. Yeah. Um, now, uh, Ken could uh, give a million hours on this. And hopefully all of you guys have gone on his app and listened, because there's also a lot, a lot of great stuff there. And I'll tell you what, I've learned a lot on that, that content. But at a 50,000 foot view, the idea is that many of these layers of healing uh, interlock with one another. They're, they're, they're kind of like a big Rubik's cube that you have to solve together. You can't, you can't just solve one and leave it kind of sitting, sitting next to it, to the other things. And there are um, places in physics that very much work that way. Um, it, th those of us who work in, um, in high energy physics spend a lot of time studying what's called the strong force. And I, I was uh, connected to that in my research. The strong force is what's going on with the little quarks inside the protons and neutrons inside the nucleus of an atom. And quarks are interesting because you'll never get a quark by itself. Um, you can get protons and neutrons by themselves, which are emergent states of matter, a la the term before. Um, but you can't get quarks by themselves because quarks are too strongly bound. And what winds up happening is as you grab one and you try and pull it out of a proton or a, or a neutron, you have to pull with so much energy that you create a new quark anti-quark pair and you wind up just pulling up and now getting two groups of quarks because you've made more quarks by trying to pull them apart. <laughs> um, and, and that idea that like sometimes these states are so tightly bound up with each other that you can't really treat them as separate entities is a thing that I feel like I see in healing all the time, right? You've got so-and-so who's got some presenting physical condition. And as you get into it, you realize like that physical condition is actually inseparably tied to an emotional condition, which is actually inseparably tied to some spiritual dis-ease <laughs> um, that's the result of sin done to them or by them or something. And the only way that you can deal with the one is to deal with all of them. They're all bound up so tightly that the it's it's either like they all exist as a whole or none of them exist as a whole. But you can't like just pull one. You have to you have to solve the whole together. Um, 
and there's actually quite a bit of physics that works that way. And so I, I find myself thinking of that frequently when, when I'm trying to, to probe around and kind of get my understanding of um, the, the, the pile of issues we're working to resolve in any given healing situation. I'm like, okay, here's the bound state. You know, I'm thinking, I actually think in physics terms. I, I get the PhD. I'm sorry, I can't not, right? So I'm, I'm thinking in those terms as I'm processing this. And then I'm also knowing, like, I need to knock out all of these together. Or what winds up happening is kind of the equivalent where it's like I pull, I try and pull one out hard enough that I just create a new bound state. And I think even sometimes Jesus hints at things like that. When he says, you know, that the one infamous passage, you know, it's like if the demon leaves, but the house isn't all swept up, turns out it comes right on back and it brings other ones. And then the whole situation's even worse, you know? It's like that's a partial healing situation. You got deliverance, but there were un, undone things. The house wasn't deconstructed too. And so to me, there's a lot of, that. that's a parallel, but there's, these come up a lot in different ways, I guess. <laughs> I love this. I love it. It, it. This idea of the bound state. Um, and by the way, it's interesting that you mentioned Jesus with that deliverance story, because uh, many thinkers, theologians, believe that deliverance is a form of the gift of miracles. It's not the only form of the gift of miracles, but it is a form of the gift of miracles. Okay, listeners, what did I say? I did not say it is the only form. I said it is a form. <laughs> um, so what you just described in Christian language in a particular story is a bound state that arises from trying to extract one piece of the bound state, the demon in the person. Um, but if you don't, if you don't do the job thoroughly, in the end, you end up with more bound states, more pairs of quarks would be the physics equivalent of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. Uh, so isn't that interesting that the natural can speak of the supernatural? I'm not saying they're identical. Nobody heard me say identical, but uh, but there can be some similarity there. And again, it helps us to think analogically about the ways of God. And that was what you said early on in this broadcast, that you got fascinated in physics because it allowed you to think the thoughts of God after him. It allowed you mm -hmm. to learn how he governs the universe on a level anyway. and um, and so with that, uh, we see just in that simple story that you told uh, something that seems to parallel the concept. Mm -hmm. And, and uh, just, just for, I love, uh, Putty, I've never forgotten, you, you dumbed that down uh, pretty well uh, in, in Socom, and you, t you talked about it in pickup pick sticks. And so, yeah. uh, so I've never forgotten that. I've used that multiple times to sort of talk about the same thing you just talked about on a... Uh, Maybe you're more everyman sort of thing that I was able to to, uh, to grab yeah. on, but it's a similar concept. I, yeah, I use that quite a bit, and that I, I learned that from your your teaching there. I think uh, in oh, that same sort of vein. <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Just trying to. I mean, I, I mean, we both know I learned that from Ken, so I'm just trying to put a visual on Ken. <laughs> everything, everything we've learned, we've learned from Ken. I mean, sorry, folks, it is what you're gonna get. So well, I mean, I'll tell, I'll, I'll tell anyone who wants to know, like, can you, I mean, I hit you up years ago and I said, dude, you know more than me. I'm running out of people who know more than me in terms of understanding the dynamics of healing. Like I need, I, I, I want to learn, you know? So like, I'll, I'll tell anybody that that's totally true. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. I think Ken, Ken calls it the integrated. Is what, uh, 
That's right. That's yeah. Right. Yep. You graded a healing model. Yep. Yep. That's right. I had, prayer, I had a prayer time just today with somebody who needed some integrated healing and it was related to something that had happened. Actually, interesting, involving being dishonored by somebody. Hmm. You know, Bill Johnson likes to talk about the culture of honor and the importance of honor. It's amazing how often people fall into the trap of dishonoring other people, usually mm -hmm. by anger, you know, emotion. Uh, but emotion is part of the soul. And so what we could say is when people are reacting out of anger, they're being soulish. Mm -hmm. Or a word that we commonly use theologically is carnal. That the, the soul is the fallen part of the flesh. Or the flesh is the fallen part of the soul. Depends on who's saying it and where they're saying it. But but anyway, that's the notion. And so um, anyway, somebody had been dishonored, and the um, the damage of that encounter was causing a a potentially life threatening condition. Wow! Wow! So, yep, this stuff is is quite real. But again, at, at Fusion, we'll certainly talk about some of this, but I, we're not going to teach them on the integrated healing model. I've done conferences on that elsewhere. I right. available on that. We're trying, we're trying to go a little bit beyond. We're trying to push the boundaries and move into the dimension of miracles. I've, I've said in many places that there's at least four realms of kingdom breakthrough that I'm aware of, at least four. Hmm. Uh, first level is healing. The second level is miracles. And of course, at that second level, importantly, in Nazareth, because of the lack of honor, Jesus could do no mighty works there. A mighty works is the English translation of miracles. He could so he and it says he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. But right. even it was just a few sick people. He didn't he didn't have a very prolific or productive ministry in uh, mm -hmm. in Nazareth. So for many people, they you know they say, why don't we see more breakthrough in the United States or Canada or the UK or Australia or something, any Western Europe? Well, the answer is because of this culture of dishonor that we have built over time, and now we proudly defend it, and we don't realize it's actually stripping us of supernatural reality. Hmm. Hmm. So anyway, and someone will ask, what are levels three and four? So the third level is mentioned in Acts 19, extraordinary miracles, miracles that are a level beyond something unusual about them. And in the case of Paul, it says God did extraordinary miracles such that when handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were carried away, people were healed, and the demons came out of many. So that's again might point to this notion that uh, that deliverance is a form of the gift mm -hmm. of miracles. Mm -hmm. And then level four is it says that uh, the word of God prevailed mightily. Well, at that level, it's like just the preaching of the gospel, the signs and wonders, the presence of God over a region. And mm -hmm. these exotic quantum states where the spirit of God breaks through and we're at a higher quantum and suddenly boom, 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 miracles happen like that. Or mm -hmm. thousands are swept into the kingdom at one altar call or, or there's more than that. I'm just, and I don't want to take away this is really we're interviewing you, not me talking. But at that level of level four nothing can withstand the breakout of the kingdom of God. And it really is that dynamic that Paul found in Ephesus that allowed the entire province of Asia, the entire Western end of Turkey mm. to be evangelized in two years. Mm. And so part of why we're after all this is we want to find that, if you will, quantum state or whatever it is, that place where prophecy and miracles merge and fuse together 
in order that there would be these tremendous breakouts to accelerate and fuel the revival that the Lord has already begun right. across the earth. Right, right. An integrated spirit ministry model. Yeah, maybe, yeah. <laughs> probably need to change the name. That would go new age too quickly. <laughs> That's true. All right, let's get to just a couple of last things. The last time you were on the show, uh, you were in the process of getting moved to Phoenix, Arizona. You were going to start a church. Um, how's that going? And give us an idea of what this work entails. What What are some key victories or exciting stories? And also, if you had any challenges you want to share with us, because I think sometimes church planting, people think it's going to be a walk in the park and very glamorous. And I think there's a lot of just very hard, gritty work that goes with it. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. No, it's true. I am in Phoenix. Um, I have been here since February this year, and we've been starting our church plant, which has been messy and glorious and fun and exciting and hard and all of it. Um, church planting to me is sort of like life with intensity just turned up. You know, like all the highs are really high, all the lows are really low. Um, you know, you're just, you are living. Because <laughs> um, you're just putting yourself in this place of like real dependency on God and God sh sh loves it. Like he shows up, but the enemy is right there in your face too. Like that, that is just how it is. But what does that look like when you say the enemy's right there in your face? Oh man. Well, um, like spiritual warfare is intense. Like, uh, you know, like there are days when I'm just like, oh my gosh, like, why am I doing this? I should just quit everything. Like, this is awful. Like nothing I'm doing is making any difference. And it's just like this awful despair and hopelessness that hangs over you. You know, we had, we've had crazy financial stuff. We've had random stuff break and team members stuff like cars. Just like we had a team member just this last month that had like 10 grand of car expenses that just like from a car they got checked out before they moved here like three months ago, you know. Um, we've, uh, my, my, my sister-in-law is actually going through um, terminal brain cancer right now, um, uh, you know, and so like, you know, we're kind of in a waiting for that situation to resolve, um, you know, and, and that's been crazy hard. So there's been lots of hard stuff. And I mean, just beyond that, there's also just practical hard stuff with church planting. Like I'm living in a new state. I don't know how to live here. I don't have any friends here. <laughs> you know, like, I don't have a doctor. I don't, I don't know where to buy groceries. You know, like, I, like, that's just like practical stuff, but it's real, right? Like, I mean, it, it's just, that's just stuff, you know, so there's hard stuff. Um, but there's just some beautiful, I mean, it's just glorious at the same time, you know, like, yesterday or uh, Sunday, two days ago, we, we just had this wonderful church service It crammed 50 some people in my house. And we're worshiping and the Lord is just so present. And at the end of the service, this young lady turns to me and you know, she's been at the church for like a month, maybe, you know, like I've known her for a month. And she turns to me, she goes, it was amazing. During worship, I just started like singing in tongues. I've been asking for tongues for like years and, and, and it just like happened. And I was like, did anybody even pray for you? She's like, no, it was just like, it's just there. And, and I was like, that's amazing. You know, go home and practice, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, there's just moments like that, which are just like, you know, just glorious. Yeah. We, um, 
We had a moment, Ken, I've been actually waiting to tell you this story. So I'm going to tell you this story. Cool. So I, this was this was about two months ago. And one of the guys that I connected with real early on on here is super evangelist, just hard for the loss, like beautiful, beautiful. So every time I talked to him, he's like, dude, when are we hitting the streets again? When are we hitting the streets again? So we go out together one, one Friday night. We go to Walmart. And I'm like, all right, got to do that power evangelism thing. Got to figure out that groove again because it had been a little while. And so I get there and I'm partnered up with this guy who had taken the school that I had run, but that was like all he ever knew of me. So he's like, you know, thinking I'm Todd White or something, you know, and I'm like, I'm just the normal dude. Like I find this awkward too. I just, I just think it's important, you know, so I'm trying to do it. And so we're wandering around the store and he's of course, like basically trying to watch to see if I'm going to do something. And I'm like, I don't know what to do. And I'm walking down the back of the store and I pass this lady and I get this sympathy pain word of knowledge right between my shoulder blades. So I turn and I said, hey, this is a weird question to ask him in Walmart. I know, but do you happen to have an issue with your back, just specifically right back here between the shoulder blades? She's like, I totally do. Why? I'm like, well, you know, I know this isn't usually what you do in, in a grocery store, but I'd just love to pray for that. Can we pray for that? She goes, oh, sure. So we pray for her. She's really open. Finish the prayer. She goes, man, that was awesome. I'm surprised the Lord didn't tell you about my crippling anxiety. <laughs> like, tell me more about that, you know? So we're talking to her. We pray for her again. And she, this is heading towards a third prayer at this point. So we've been standing in this back aisle of Walmart for 15 minutes, blocking traffic, you know? And I'm, I'm like, okay, my partner's queuing up to pray for her again. I start looking around and there's two people there. They're just sitting there watching with their carts. The first one so this lady, she just looks at me, she goes, yeah, we got to live our faith out loud in public. Yeah. And I'm like, go Jesus. The second guy looks at me, he goes, he goes, are you, are you praying for her? I said, yeah, totally. He goes, that's awesome. I don't know anybody else who prays for people in public. I'm like, oh, you do? He goes, yeah. I'm like, tell me about yourself. So he starts telling me the story and he's going to Vietnam the next day to work with the underground church. And so I'm like, you're interesting. So we're talking and he's involved with some like men's uh, freedom ministry stuff here, here in Phoenix. And, and he looks at me like five minutes into the conversation. He looks at me and goes, man, you look familiar. Have we met before? And I was like, dude, I don't think so. I just moved here like two months ago. I don't know anybody. Like I have no idea how we could have possibly met. He goes, Oh, okay. Why'd you move here? I said, well, to plant a church, actually. And he looks at me and he goes, wait a minute. No, no way. I cannot believe this is happening. <laughs> I'm like, what, bro? He goes, did you do a podcast about your church plant like eight months ago? And I was like, yeah, with my friend Ken Fish. He's like, dude, dude. He's like, I love Ken. He like taught me all this deliverance stuff for my, for the ministry that I do. And I'm like, seriously? He's like, yeah. And, and he goes, he goes, okay, dude, you will not believe this. I listened to that podcast eight months ago. I got so excited. And then you said you were coming to Phoenix. And I was like, this is unbelievable. So I looked you up and I Googled and I was trying to find out where it was going to be. And I couldn't find anything. And after like two months of looking, I said, Lord, if I'm supposed to be a part of this thing, 
I need you to bring him to me. <laughs> and he's like, now here we are. There's six million people in this city. And I run into you praying for somebody in Walmart? Like, what is going on? So we trade numbers. He goes off to Vietnam. He hits me up like three weeks later when he's back. He's like, dude, I totally want to check out your church. I'm like, dude, you are so welcome to come check out my church. But you told me about all this ministry you're doing in this other church. Like, I don't want to like steal people from other churches. He goes, well, funny thing. Yesterday, completely out of the blue, they called me up. And they said, look, you're going to either need to stop doing deliverance or stop leading in the church. So you can pick. Apparently, it's a church that, like, the whole Christians can't have demons thing is a, is a, is a thing, you know? So he's like, he's like, so as of 24 hours ago, my wife and I are looking for a new church. <laughs> and they came and they hung out. Oh, I just lost my light there. They came and they've hung out and it's been, it's been beautiful. The Lord's done just, just incredible things. And so thank you to Orbis Ministries for your resources and for having me. I told him I'd tell you that story. I'm going to introduce the two of you someday. He's really looking forward to it. And he's a super cool dude. You'll like him. Oh, that's, that's a hilarious story. But, you know, we use the term divine appointments where the Lord seemingly, well, they, they, you can call them coincidences, but they happen with surprising regularity. And, you know, people who need to meet people meet people or whatever. Um, so it sounds like you had one right there in the Walmart. Totally. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. Hey, last question before we go. You've been living in Phoenix in, in what is being reported as the hottest uh, summer ever recorded <laughs> history. Maybe that's right. Maybe it's just more drama from the press. I don't know. But anyway, what's it like living in Phoenix this summer? Oh, you know what? It, it is hot. It's totally hot. But having come grown up in Chicago, I'll take this over Chicago winter any day. Is that right? Yep. Yep. The whole month of July, we had one day that didn't hit over 110 for the high. So wow. it is really hot, but like no humidity. Yeah. So your sweat actually works and keeps you cool. And I was, I was telling Grant not that long ago, I've had days where I've eat outside in a hundred degrees because it's actually comfortable, not in the sun. So, you know, we have air conditioning. The Lord is good to us. You know, my house isn't 110 degrees. It's warm. I'm, I'll be glad when it's over, but I'm making it through. It's okay. All right. So for all of you that are looking for a church and don't mind being um, in the midst of the global warming phenomenon in Phoenix, which may or may not be right, um, Putty, Putty is open for business. His house is busting at the seams as they hold church there. And there's a guy who just got back from Vietnam who would love to meet you when you show up to visit as well. Totally <laughs> true. Hey, Putty, uh, why don't you tell us, uh, do you have a website or anywhere if, if anybody is listening that's around Phoenix that they can find more information? Yeah, that's great. I could do better with those things, apparently. Um, <laughs> so I do have a website. It's puttyputman.com. Um, and I've got lots of articles and stuff up there. If you jump on my email list on that website, that email is a great way to reach out and get in touch. And so if you put yourself in, it'll automatically send you an email. Just reply and reach out and say, hey, I'm over here. Can we connect sometime? Um, we've got lots of exciting things happening, lots of people that I'm connecting with. 
Um, they're kind of actually starting, it's already starting to have people kind of throughout the metro, which is really exciting. So, you know, that's uh, weird, buddy. Um, I know you're, you're planting in Tempe, or at least I think I know you're planting in Tempe, right? Yep. Yep. By ASU. Yep. Yep. Just down the road from ASU. Right. Um, but I think you're going to pick up a pod of people from Gilbert, Arizona. Is that right? I don't know why they're going to be coming down from Gilbert. It's a bit of a drive, but evidently they'll think it's worthwhile. And okay. God's going to stir. It's, it's a group of them, maybe maybe six or so. So here you go. I'm giving you a live prophecy on the air. Watch for your contingent from Gilbert. I received that, and I'll let you know when it happens. Thanks. Sounds good. All right, so everybody, Putty and I will be together with Grant and a bunch of other people uh, whom you haven't seen on the podcast yet at Fusion. It'll be in Nashville, Tennessee, October 18 to 21. Uh, the super early bird pricing is on right now. Go sign up at orbisministries.org, O-R-B-I-S, orbisministries.org. And uh, if you missed the super early bird, you can still sign up. You'll just pay more for the same thing. So you might as well do it now. And uh, we'll see everybody in October. Buddy, thanks for being on the show. It's always a pleasure to spend time with you. Oh, man, this is great. This is like the best. I love it. All right, Grant, any other closing thoughts? No, other than if you're a church planner and want to get on Orbis uh, podcast to grow your church, you can just email uh, Orbis Ministries, apparently, and, and see if you can come on the podcast. And then maybe that'll grow your church. We'll see. See how that works. Uh, <laughs> Whatever be, works. New, it's a new church growth strategy. <laughs> and uh, we'll see how that, that flies. Uh, but thank you both so much. And we had to do some finagling to get everybody in uh on today's recording and thank you all for listening to another episode of god is not a theory with ken fish we'll be back here next week with another guest for fusion conference 2023 the fusion conference is fast approaching we would love to have you attend the event in nashville with us if you're interested in registering for the Fusion Conference, you can click on the link in the description of this podcast and register today.